Welcome to episode one of Big Shanks Radio, the podcast where we speak to the who's who of barbecue. Season one of the show is proudly brought to you by Smoky Q Rubs and Saucers and Clean Heat Charcoal and Briquettes. In this episode, we are speaking with Donovan McDonald, better known in barbecue circles as the other big guy, Big Don. So let's get to today's show. Woo! Big Don, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing, mate? Good, thanks, man. Thanks for being our first ever guest on the new podcast. Um, I'm very uh, um, honoured. When it eventually goes huge, then I can say that I'm the first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what we're all hoping for. <laughs> so, first question off, off the top, um, one that I'm going to ask everyone. What is the um, the best thing that you reckon that you've ever barbecued? Um. You know, compared to some of the guys you see posting stuff on social media or, you know, the Perth local uh, barbecue scene, I'm probably, uh, I probably cook the least, you know, I mean, I uh, like the least variety, at least, um, you know, and I think probably one of the best things I cooked was recently uh, just nailing duck breast for the first time. Um, like, I mean, I love, you know, nailing brisket and beef ribs, but I've cooked so many of them that trying new things is uh, is starting to become more appealing. And yeah, I did some really good duck breast the other day on a salad. <laughs> and yeah, it was it was great. I did see an image of that. They did look pretty good. Yeah, it's just getting that crispy skin. And it was the second time I'd ever tried smoking and, and then frying the, the duck to get that skin. And yeah, that was probably my favorite. But, um, you know, if I ate that every day, then I'd probably be craving brisket or something. <laughs> So take us through that process. You smoked it for uh, for a while and then, and then fried it off secondary to that? Yeah, and that was just advice from a couple other guys uh, on online there that, um, yeah, smoke it for about 40 minutes or so till it gets to about 130, 135. So just nice medium rare, which, you know, unlike, um, you know, other poultry, you can you can cook duck pretty rare. And, um, uh, and then just pan fry the fat side after you've scored it. Uh, scoring it when it was uh, raw um, just to get that crispiness and sort of spoon out the fat a bit as well. And that was probably the thing that helped me nail it. The second time I did it was spoon the fat out so that it was quite dry and crispy. Um, yeah. And it turned out really good. And then I just ate it with over a fairly healthy meal uh, with, um, with a bit of pomegranate and stuff in there. So it was in feta cheese and things. So it was really nice. Gave the, uh, the, I'm guessing the pomegranate little squishes of goodness gave it a nice kind of sweet edge to go with, yeah. the, with the duck. Well, and I mean, you know, you can't eat brisket uh, every weekend or every day. <laughs> I say that's for the weekend. And if I want to do any barbecuing during the week, it's got to be uh, with a fairly healthy meal. <laughs> yeah. And and was that done in the Weber? Um, yeah, that was just a Weber. Yeah, yeah. Which yeah. you know, that's the funny thing is, uh, you know, I've, I've only I only started using a Weber for the first time in my life like three or four months ago. Oh, maybe that, months ago now. Was, did you buy one back overseas? Is that the oh, one I got, got there? Yeah, a limited edition red one uh, that I brought back from the US in February. But then I'd only picked up a black uh, Vergeside Weber around November or so. So it was like six, seven months ago that I used a, a charcoal Weber for the first time in my life, which uh, it sounds pretty funny because I'd had a, a few offsets at that point. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was in a similar boat. I started with an offset and then... Uh, picked up the roadside uh, verge side collection uh, Weber and started uh, playing around with that after I had the offset. So that's the interesting thing is there's so many different units and everybody has a bit of a different 
pathway, I guess, to how they get into barbecue or at, well, at least to the point where how we all get into the, from just like hobbyists to uh, extreme OCD. <laughs> so that's probably a good segue. Tell us about your uh, barbecue journey there. How did you kind of stumble into, uh, into barbecue uh, and take it from a hobby um, to something more? I don't know. I guess I'm, I'm just a bit of a perfectionist. And I mean, I only, uh, growing up in Canada, I, I'd never cooked on charcoal except for maybe once or twice while I was camping over the summer. But you know, when you squeeze in like a ton of fire starter and all that sort of stuff. And, um, uh, so because, you know, it was so dark and cold there, like 30 below where I grew up, you know, in winter, I would still barbecue, but it'd be on a gas barbecue. So, um, that was pretty much it until, maybe two and a half years ago when I had some cash and bought uh, a pro Q and was like, Oh, maybe I'll try smoking, you know, uh, some, you know, whatever I wanted to have a crack at. And the very first thing I tried was like this tiny little brisket portion from Mondo's, which is a good little cut, I guess. But yep. um, yeah, it was, it was absolutely terrible. I still have a photo of it on my, <laughs> from all of my social media. I was, you know, it's like, but, but, you know, it was, I think I coated it in like a, a pork rub and then I sauced it at some point and yeah, it was just terrible. And, but at the time I thought it was the best thing ever. Like I ate it and I was like, you know, I was like force feeding to my partner and, you know, and I think that's the thing is as you cook a lot of barbecue, you look back on the previous ones and you go, wow, I've come so far. But at the time that was excellent. So, you know, it, it it's never really, um, you know, you don't have, even a disaster is usually pretty good early on. So it's a good confidence booster. Yeah, I totally agree. I, um, I think back to the first, probably the first year or so when I was kind of, I had a little upright gas kind of smoker. And uh, I think most of the stuff that came off that was pretty terrible when I look back on it. But at the time, you're like, oh man, this is awesome. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we just start on whatever. Yeah, the little gas from Bunnings or like a Pro-Q or a Weber or whatever. And um, it's just whatever you can. And to be honest, when you get a bit decent anyway, any of those can still produce good food. But, um, you know, and that's the best part about it, I guess. So you started with a Pro-Q and then moved from there to where? Um, well, I, I probably had that Pro-Q like a year, year and a half. And I, I remember cooking a few things and thinking they were decent, but then trying better or you know looking online or having having success once but then three or four failures in a row where you they weren't as good or whatever and um you know i i stuck pretty close to the texas basics so it was like brisket beef and pork ribs and you know the pulled meats and um you know just all like i probably only cooked five or six cuts for the first year um but I would kind of go off and on of it, uh, off and on, you know, the, the, the enthusiasm for it, because I started to realize my food was actually kind of shitty. <laughs> and uh, so I kind of would go months without using it very much. And then I remember doing a brisket and then I was like, okay, this time I'm going to follow the, you know, I bought Franklin's book and I had a look at some YouTube videos and I was like, all right, this time I'm going to try and do it well. And it came out really good. And I was like, oh, wow, that's awesome. And I started doing it like every weekend and having people around and it was pretty much you know, you try everything, but pretty much brisket was, was consistently because it, it was so, my results were so inconsistent um, with it that I, I wanted to get that uh, level of consistency. So yeah, I was feeding everybody I knew brisket all the time and <laughs> compliments and, and this was just still on that pro queue. And they're like, yeah, you know, this is really amazing. And I started bringing it around to hosting a few uh, poker nights and bringing it around to mates and stuff. And um, yeah, it kind of grew from there. And then at one point, you know, I was like, oh, you know, I wanted to post my photos online and get into that, I suppose, because I'd probably come across Gus and he was the yep. 
the granddaddy of Perth barbecue, right? So, um, yeah. this guy's got 10,000 followers, <laughs> like look at his food. Yeah. And, um, so I was like, cool. I, I knew that too, I guess. I think I take good photos and yeah. So it kind of went from there. Um, and at one point I think I had three or four pro cues, um, <laughs> because I was buying them on Gumtree, like everyone I could find. At one point I stacked them all together and it was like 10 high, you know, not to go <laughs> just for a laugh. And yeah. so there was a period that that was all I was using. And, um, and yeah, I, I threw it out there to friends once just going on, on my big Dawn's page when I had like a hundred followers and going, yeah, I'm gonna cook up some food if anybody's keen. And I think I had five or six people turn up and I might've made like 200 bucks. And I was like, geez, that covers all my meat. And I was like, that's yep. awesome. And, um, you know, I didn't really have any ambitions of taking it any further than paying for my own meat costs. But, um, I remember, uh, the second time I cooked brisket or third time I cooked brisket, uh, and then threw it out there, uh, for people. I remember Troy messaged me from Troy's meats and he's like, are you selling cooked briskets? And I thought he was mad at me. <laughs> I was like, yeah selling my briskets cooked and i was like uh yeah and yeah <laughs> and yeah it just went from there and i was pretty much copying the the format of somebody from instagram called uh trudy's underground barbecue and he's in la and yeah, i've seen that guy yeah he's he's posts a lot of really good quality photos reminding me a little bit about uh of gus's photos um, but he, he definitely had the underground barbecue vibe and I saw a couple more, but he was, I think he was one of the first ones. And, and there was another in LA called Ray's barbecue and he's got a restaurant, but he started off underground as well. And so it was those two guys that I followed and emulated the most as opposed to, you know, the, the Franklins of the world or anything else. Um, and so that was kind of where it went. Yeah. So take us through the underground aspect of it. You kind of obviously, um, you're cooking up, uh, decide that you're cooking up a barbecue and then you, uh, have some people contact you through social media and you just kind of have them over. Is that the deal? Well, pretty much. Yeah. And I mean, the first couple of times I did it, you know, I, um, I, I tried really hard to make sure that even though people rocked up and it was a dude with a bunch of pro cues, like a little armada of them in his driveway, um, that at least, uh, I put on a good show and, you know, uh, the food was excellent. And so, um, you know, I know it was, it was pretty good, uh, back then as well at the point where I started saying, okay, I'm going to try and, you know, sell it to people. And, and, um, uh, so I would post up and I think by the third or fourth, so at this point now, it's been just under a year that I've been doing it. And, you know, like I might get 30 people now. So it was, it was, they've become pretty big and it's basically a little party. Most of them were sort of a pickup scenario. It's like, you yep. know, you're not necessarily rocking up and eating cause I don't have any seating, <laughs> but you can stand up <laughs> and have beers and we can, you know, I, I always do lots of samples. So even if someone was only picking up like 30 or 40 bucks worth of, something uh then i would have samples of something else you know i might have like pulled meat tortillas or whatever and you know and and then just talk about it um and not long after that maybe a couple of months into that i got the the, the offset that lucky made me from great southern fruitwood yep. um, and that was obviously a bit more exciting as well because then i had an, uh, something that people were were more excited to see um so that was good for conversation um yeah and the underground aspect i mean like i said i, I wasn't try, like when, when i talked to people and they asked me what the deal was i, I never posted saying i have food for sale or, or i'm doing this or i'm doing that it was kind of like hey i'm having this event and uh you know there's a round of food coming up and if you're interested inquire within and so people started messaging and by the third or fourth one half the people coming were strangers and so <laughs> what was yeah. that like for you yeah it was pretty was I mean, kind of exciting 
it was exciting, but you're like, don't screw up the food. <laughs> you're like, oh, a bit more pressure on yourself. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, I mean, it, it, it probably within three or four months, it was, it had grown pretty big. And I was like, okay, I, I need to hire a friend to give me a hand, um, you know, with, with serving or like prepping. So, you know, we, at first I was just wanting to cut up and serve food to everyone fresh. And although that was still the goal, it was like half an hour before people came out, scramble and wrap up a bunch of orders so that it was still hot and fresh and ready for them. But then I had time to actually speak because if someone rocks up to your house and you just hand them a parcel and you're like, yo, where's the money? Like it feels a little shadier than I had intended for it to feel. So yep. um, you needed to have that customer service element and um, just to have it be a chill atmosphere, I guess. Um, sorry, go on. No, I was going to say, and 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 mostly brisket and and the Texas kind of style barbecue that, that, yes. that people are interested in. Yeah, I mean, I think brisket's the hardest one to cook, right? I mean, um, you know, it, absolutely. In the last in the last year, I've I've probably cooked roughly, you know, some some weekends ten or twelve. So you know, in a, in a good month, maybe fifty. And so in the course of the year, maybe one hundred and fifty to two hundred, and. You know, I've had 10% of them probably, not disasters, but pretty average. Probably 75% of them pretty solid and I'm happy with them. And then only 10 or 15% of them are like next level. I'm like, this is could, this could compete with the best brisket. So it's still like even only one in 10 where I, I can nail it. I think it's getting, the consistency is getting um, a lot a lot better in terms of like next level, blow people away. But it was brisket I always focused on because it was just the hardest and I kind of wanted to to be known for something, I guess. And um, yeah, it was just like reading everything I could read, practicing all the different wrap techniques and, you know, um, you know, the internal temperatures and just everything. And so it was uh, and then starting to take good photos, too. So that was probably yeah. if you're going to sell food online, it needs to look bloody good, doesn't it? Especially yeah, if you're I like, can... yeah, I'm going to take a punt on this face, this guy's fantastic. Yeah, you want it to be mouthwatering, that's for sure. I think that um, I think you're 100% right. Brisket is such a challenge. I think for most people out there, you know, like that's why we keep going back to it because it because it is such a challenge. Every time you do it, you kind of think that you might have it nailed, and then you never really know until you take that slice out and kind of and see what the moisture is like. And you know, even when it looks good, you're never quite sure. Oh yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, you could, you could spend 12, 13 hours nursing it and then a few hours rest in it and you get sliced into it and you're like, well, I'm not very happy. And you just wasted like a whole Saturday, you know, and it's, uh, you know, that's just life with brisket, I guess. But yeah, it, it definitely got easier as you, it's just something that requires a lot of experience. I mean, um, you know, so my menu is pretty small. It was brisket, beef ribs, pork ribs, um, pulled lamb, pulled pork. And then, you know, there might be something that rotates through like, um, some burn ends or, um, you know, maybe some, some, uh, lamb ribs or something like that. But, um, but it was small cause it was, I kept thinking of, I mean, even Franklin's menu or other barbecue joints are generally pretty, pretty small, but I was thinking of places yeah. like, you know, popular, uh, fast food restaurants, like in and out burger in America, where their menus like four items, you know, and, um, you know, the, if you're going to do something like the worst restaurants are always ones with like a 20 page menu, right? Cause everything's inconsistent. Just do one or two things better than anyone else can, can do it. And you'll probably be off to a good start, I guess. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. My wife and I talk about that all the time. And I think it's a real kind of renaissance with food operators. And, you know, like you look at some of the, like the donut shops that have kind of opened up recently where they just do donuts and they do them bloody well. Um, you know, we've got one down near where I live called Topped Up. Yeah, you know, Mop, Topped Up. Mop's another yeah. one. And, you know, like they just do 
you know, five, six, eight donuts and they do it really, really well and just, just concentrate and do them one thing really well and you'll become really well known for it. So completely think that you're on the right track there with that. Yeah. And it's, um, and it's grown, you know, to the point where I was like, yeah, okay. So I had that, that smoker that would fit eight briskets and that was an awesome one. And, and, um, now the one that I'm, I'm getting in a couple of days that's been built from with, by Jason Meldrum down in, uh, uh, Southern ocean smokers is, um, I mean, that's, uh, it was a tank that he found, um, in Perth, which was from Louisiana was from, there's a stamp on it that says Shreveport, Louisiana. And so that was, uh, it'll be a three rack smoker that would hold, I mean, the bottom rack alone would hold 15 to 18 briskets. So, you know, roughly you could probably pack 30 briskets in there pretty comfortably. Uh, and th- I mean, that's probably never going to get filled, you know, but <laughs> never say never. Well, I mean, you know, now it's just like, uh, I mean, the underground thing is, is fun and I'm still doing it. I mean, I've got one coming yeah. out and, you know, but it's, I'd rather do one big thing a month rather than like, this isn't something I'm quitting my job for, but, um, yeah. you know, make a little money, pay for the the hobby. And then, you know, who knows from there, I guess. Uh, but yeah, it'll, it'll always have a brisket focus and it'll always be the Texas style, but, uh, then just start to, you know, experiment with other areas just out of boredom or, you know, interest. I'm going to take a quick break here to tell you about my sponsor, Smoky Q Rubs and Sauces. Smoky Q are a proudly WA based company whose spice rubs are all made right here in Perth. Their rubs feature Lake Deborah Natural Lake Salt, which is a 5 million year old deposit situated in the remote regions of WA. The rubs are gluten and MSG free and contain no artificial ingredients or preservatives. I've been using their Fistball rub, which features Frio's own Geisha Fistball coffee, and the Q has been tasty as. Check out smokeyq.com.au, that's S M O K E Y Q.com.au and use code word BIG, that's B-I-G, for 15% off your first order. Trust me, you won't be disappointed. Now let's get back to today's guest. Woo! So tell us about that commissioning process. I mean, I've seen the beast. I mean, it definitely looks like a beast. Uh, it'd have to put you up there in terms of uh, the ability to, uh, to cook brisket in terms of capacity uh, here in Perth anyway. Um, tell us about that process around how you... Um, started talking to Jason and, and, and how that, how that came to be. Well, there's only a couple of people that could build one like that in Perth. And, um, you know, as you probably saw online, um, a hot chili just, uh, just recently, uh, have, have shut down, uh, business. I saw that. So sad. Hey, yeah, it was, it was cause they were around for a long time and, um, you know, they were definitely, uh, an option for somebody that I would go to cause the quality of work that they've put out is, is pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I was definitely looking at, um size i was like okay if i'm gonna spend some some serious money again on a smoker uh then i I gotta make sure it's one i don't want to upgrade anytime soon so um because the last one uh the the big offset was um uh you know i I was like oh i'll never need to upgrade and six months later it was like way too small (laughs) yeah three pro cues and it was like just a nightmare um running around you know lifting off that top shelf and having grease drip on your feet and you're like oh god i'm tired of this <laughs> yeah. so this big one um yeah i mean uh, there's a few things that i learned when i went to the u.s like you know if i don't need the second the, and third rack above i'll probably just remove them and cook with just the bottom rack um because the, the smoke flow seems to be better especially with brisket and, and beef um, and so, uh, but having those extra racks there for ribs or or whatever um you know is uh, is just something that 
is handy to have. So I guess for having it made, I mean, I had to rely on Jason for, for a lot of his expertise and he's made a few before, um, you know, and, and he had, uh, he's a boiler maker, uh, welder by trade. Um, and so, uh, his craftsmanship was, you know, looking pretty good on a couple of the units that I'd seen already, uh, that are in, in Perth. Um, I guess for me, there's just, you know, a few little, uh, having gone through one offset and then doing a lot of reading, there was a few things that I wanted to see on it, but, um, realistically it was, you know, I mean, um, uh, a fairly, uh, a thick door. I just wanted to try and, you know, with a bit of heat conservation and, um, and make sure that it's uh, efficient, uh, with, with its fuel. Cause I'd want to burn through a hundred kilo every cook. Um, yeah, definitely. And, and just, uh, you know, we, the first time we used it was at smoking in the city there, uh, and it was half done. And that was that weekend where it just bucketed rain. I mean, at yeah, one point, horrendous that weekend, uh, wasn't it? it was such a nightmare and, you know, rain was pouring down the chimney of that unit and underneath of the cook chamber and out the drain just before the firebox. And it was just like grease and water just pouring out of that. And yet somehow we still managed to cook like pretty good food in it. You know I mean? The, the fuel efficiency that weekend was terrible, but, um, you know, we still came out with, you know, a fifth place place brisket and a, a first place pork and a second place, uh, sorry, first place crock and a second place pork. So the three proteins we cooked all were top five on it. And that was in like a horror weekend. So yeah, I was pretty happy with it and it was a lot of fun to use. And, um, you know, the, the trailer's all finished now. There'll be you know some bench space on it and, you know, it'll, it'll look, pretty fantastic and, and i get it in two days so christmas morning that i've been like a, a petulant child waiting for, for <laughs> i think that you will definitely be the envy of a, of a few people around town when uh, when that thing's firing up that's for sure yeah and i mean it's uh, it's it's lucky that you know i uh, um i'll be able to fire it up and use it uh every weekend but i mean i guess the thing with the trailer is then i can you know look at you know doing some some pop-ups with some licensed venues or you know if you've I don't know where, where it'll go. I don't necessarily want to be a caterer or something uh, permanently, but just doing some fun events uh, is probably the goal with that. Um, the underground thing, I'm surprised the councils haven't cracked down on me after a year, but I mean, you know, it's getting to the point now where if someone's messaging me for an order, I'm like, send me your LinkedIn and show me what you do for a living before I take your order. <laughs> and the popo. Um, tell us about the uh the heat management in the in the in the chamber it's obviously a massive chamber um you know how how thick is the steel on it and um how do you think that heat management will and the fire management will be in there uh the firebox is so my my imperial system's pretty terrible the the smaller smoker i had was half inch uh firebox quarter inch cook chamber and this one i believe is is quarter inch firebox and three eighths or five. Anyway, it's slightly thicker than that for the, the cook chamber. Um, so it, it's pretty much the standard, uh, like half inch firebox was over, it's kind of overkill. Um, we, uh, on the last unit that I had, um, I did get it, uh, talk Jason into insulating the firebox to be a bit thicker anyway, um, just for heat retention. Uh, yeah. but I think the cook chamber, I'm a little, you know, a little less concerned than the firebox itself. Uh, so, I mean, cooking on it, yeah, the, at smoking in the city, it, it definitely, um, uh, you know, you learned a few tricks like, you know, the uh, on the trailer, having the, the chimney higher than the firebox is important so that a lot of that heat then just naturally flows upwards towards the chimney. Whereas if the firebox is slightly higher and it's just at a bit of an angle, then a lot of it will just be lost out the door or, you know, um, uh, the gaps and, and cracks, et cetera. But um, 
I mean, ideally, and, and talking to Jason, you know, with a couple of times he's used it now while he's been building it, I think probably, you know, 50 or 60 kilo of wood you might go through, which isn't too bad. It's a couple of bags. And, uh, you know, and at this point now I'm buying wood by the, the, the half ton or the, the, the full trailer load. So, um, so that's not too bad at all. Uh, and probably on a per dollar basis versus briquettes, it's, it's still pretty affordable. Um, but I'm not going to fire it up to do one rack of ribs or some chicken wings. <laughs> no, I don't know if that would, uh, would, uh, work in terms of the economics. That's for sure. Did you, um, are you using Jarrah most, mostly when you, when you, uh, that? so I, I, you know, I've always been one to be very, uh, open with everything that I do. Cause it was quite fun in the early days. Like I never was, I never on, you know, the barbecue club or, or Gus's page, uh, the barbecue school, um, groups, like I never mentioned at all uh, my brands. Cause I felt like it was pretty cheesy. Um, and like, you know, who's this dude? Uh, so for the most part, I just was part of the community and I don't think people kind of figured it out on their own, which was kind of interesting, but, um, I, you know, in the year or so, I didn't really shared anything on the page. Um, and you know, a few photos here and there, and I guess, uh, people would, would put it together and go, Oh yeah, you're that guy. Um, who's cooking in his driveway and trying to sell it to people. <laughs> uh, and so, oh, I forgot the question. <laughs> I'm like, Sorry. I can't remember what I asked you either. Anyway. <laughs> um, let's talk about competition barbecue. I guess uh, I've seen you down there a couple of times. Um, I haven't actually competed uh, myself yet, but I'm planning to. Uh, you were uh, with Sandgroper there at uh, Freo. Yeah, well, yeah, that was, and that was an awesome experience. Um, cooking cooking with um with him uh certainly learned a hell of a lot uh and i think the last two comps i'm actually probably glad that i um, haven't competed seeing the weather at both um smoke in the city and the one out at the chidlow um i I can't i can't decide which one i thought was was worse in terms of the weather they were both pretty bad one oh chidlow was worse because we were our tent was literally underwater i mean uh, there's some photos that uh that we posted because uh, the the rain at Chidlow was so bad there that um, there was a point where um, we were ankle deep in water. Uh, I mean, Tristan was running around in no, no shoes because his feet were just soaked anyway. And we actually had to lift up our uh, uh, smoky mountain and put it on a pallet because the water was starting to touch the bottom. Of, well, it was. It was like a centimeter or two up uh, touching the base of the unit. And so it was only a few centimeters away from the, the air intake. And we were like, Jesus, we're really going <laughs> to stuff up here. And so, uh, yeah, it was a solid, like, you know, uh, uh, 10, 15 centimeters of water through our entire tent. So Chidlo was terrible uh, for us. <laughs> yeah. But it looked like you still were having a good time. Oh, we still had a good time. Yeah. And small and city was, was uh, a bit uh, wild as well. But um, yeah, I think competition barbecue uh, is definitely a different beast. Um, I mean, I, when, when I thought, well, maybe I'll get into it, um, I was looking for a team to join. and uh, But realistically, the only thing I could cook was brisket. And even then, my competition brisket, totally different, you know. And um, uh, and so I had, like, I thought, oh, I'll look for somebody that's interested as well in, in um, joining a team. And happened to run into Tristan at Troy's. And, you know, we chatted a bit on Instagram and stuff. So it was a, it was a social media bromance or something. And, um uh, but, you know, he obviously has an eye for photography and um, he seemed to be pretty, pretty good with uh, with chicken and, and ribs and um, and things that I wasn't uh, necessarily, especially chicken at the time. I was terrible back then with that. Um, and so then we looked around for 
uh, you know, some of the other categories, the sort of the KCBS categories. And uh, I knew a couple of guys, uh, Eddie and Dave, who are on my team, and um, they're both absolute wizards. So I'd been to uh, a party where they'd had a, a pig on a spit and um, they'd probably combined done 10 or 20 uh, pigs and lamb on spits. Um, they, they were really good at, uh, at just an eye for, um, for pork in general. Um, and so they, they came on to do, uh, to do the pork portion. And um, yeah, the, in Frio, um, I think we finished fifth overall uh, with a lot of fourth place finishes. So I remember we walked out of there after the awards and we're like, well, we didn't get any placements at all. I guess that's it for our barbecue career. And Gus was like, yeah, finished fifth. And we were like, shit, that's pretty good for our first team. So yeah, and then uh, and we won uh, People's Choice for that one, and then uh, also at City for the in the Smoking Charities uh, uh, event, where you have um, obviously uh, donations uh, in exchange for food uh, for charity. So um, yeah, I mean it was pretty nice to serve you know fifty, sixty portions more than some of the other teams. Um, you know, just getting out front and drawing them in, and and uh, and sort of using maybe that social media following and getting some of your fans down. So that was cool. Um, and realistically, that's as important as any other category for me was, uh, you know, that people want to line up and eat your food. Basically the, the reigning people's champ. Of, yeah. Uh, of obviously yeah. Here. And, and the, the best thing was, you know, with, with, uh, with city, um, you know, the guys like Eddie and Dave who'd, uh, were pork experts and, and, and lamb experts and, and missed out on some trophies, uh, in the previous, uh, in Frio, you know, they managed to grab, uh, they've had a second place, um pork they've had a first place uh uh lamb so you know they uh over the last couple so they've had some huge results and um yeah we've as a team we've been pretty happy with with how we've gone but it's just a totally different beast and i think the barbecue scene in perth is obviously exploded and um it's really interesting because you got guys like sangroper and you know jaggard and some teams that have been around forever and um you know really know their stuff and then you've got like young uh up and coming teams and I mean, like the barbecue school guys. I mean, forget Gus on the team. His the guys on his team are going to leave and start their own team. Those, like uh, Dave and and Nathan. There's some guys on that team that have just smashed it. And I, you know, they beat me on brisket twice in a row by half a point or something. And so I'm pulling my hair out. <laughs> I take it you're a pretty competitive guy. I think. I think you have to be slightly competitive if you're going to do something stupid like camp in a field for two days in the rain and try and win. Yeah. I mean, I'm not obnoxiously, so I hope, but, um, but definitely, you know, I, uh, uh, yeah, there's a bit of fire for, for winning for sure. No, I think that the whole community is a bit like that. Everyone's there to win, but everyone just kind of wants to beat kind of the guy um, next to them on even playing field, I think. Yeah, and then the the community feel of the barbecue scene in Perth is the best bit, you know. Um, I mean, everybody's uh, like if you're short or something, if you need a, um, you know, a, a misting uh, uh, a misting gun that we ours had broke, and you know, it's like the uh, the, the Sheilas uh, are always around to lend you stuff. I think they lent us three things last time. Um, you know, <laughs> so there's always teams around that you're willing to help out or or that'll help you out, and um, so obviously that's um, that's clearly the best bit is. The, the people that I've run into in, in the barbecue scene in Perth have been awesome. Um, and mostly from the groups, uh, you know, but you know, as I said, turns out the barbecue scene here had been going on for quite a while. Right. I mean, going back a few years now. Yeah. And I think you're right. I think that in the last year or so, uh, you know, like obviously that's probably when you and I have kind of seen it kind of taking off, but it definitely seems to be uh, expanding pretty quickly. Yeah. And I, I don't think it has, is going to slow down because there's, there's a, there's a lot of guys and, and gals out there that would, uh, you know, still be looking to get their first 
Weber or charcoal unit, or like now you actually can go to, you know, Facebook groups or Instagram pages and you can go and look at all this stuff and, and then go and eat that locally or talk to people. And, um, you know, there's a few barbecue schools and like, I mean, I don't think it's going to peter out. I mean, people are like, Oh, it's a fad, but let's be honest, the Aussie barbecue kind of shit. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, the snacks and the, you know, I mean, uh, there's a place for bunny and sausage sizzle, but uh, this is like really good barbecue. And I think for most people here, um, it blows them away the first time they have it. And that's probably the only, like, I'm, I'm sick of brisket myself. You know, I mean, if I, I might save a couple slices for myself the next day and that's about it. But um, the best bit is obviously when you serve uh, a barbecue to someone for the first time who's never really had it before. And they're like, Oh my God, you know, and they have that, uh, that O face. So, um, especially lamb because, you know, obviously in Australia, you know, I mean, everyone has had bad pulled pork at restaurants and other places. And then you you give somebody some smoke pulled lamb and that usually blows them away as well. Yeah, no doubt. They, um, and and I think that's kind of unique to Australia in a way, um, that, that lamb, the ability to, to slow cook the lamb. It's not really done in the U S it's not one of the KCBS meats. Oh, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a part of the U.S. that does lamb. Um, I think it's Kentucky that, that has a, like a lamb history and, and um, like those regional areas of the U.S. are I've got a lot of traveling to do through there. Um, you know, I've only gone through Texas and that was it. Uh, but you could go through most of those states in the south uh, east of the U.S. have different like Carolina's got two or three different uh, type, different ways of doing pork and, and different rules. And, um, but yeah, I think it's in Kentucky where they do quite a bit of lamb. And so, but I don't think it'd be like what we do. So there's sort of a chance to do something a bit different from an Australian point of view. And, um, I did see that you were over in, in Texas and in the States earlier this year. How was that trip? And uh, how many barbecue joints did you hit up along the way? Not as many as you'd think. I had a list of like, I mean, it was a great trip. I, I started in LA for four days and I, and I visited uh, Trudy and um, and Ray's. And um, like I said, sort of the, the two Instagrams that I actually talked to previously and, and they knew I was coming and they're like, yeah, come around and we'll have beers and hang out. And that was cool. Um, uh, and then in, in Texas, uh, I started in Houston um, and drove through uh, Austin and Dallas. Um, and along the way, I think, I think in Houston, uh i ate at uh um oh geez i can't remember the name of it now it's, it's the one that's um in pearland uh which is uh probably the most well known in uh in houston and and i remember going in there was beef rib day and the beef rib was you know as good as i've ever had anywhere um but it was kind of a trend in texas that i was slightly let down by the brisket and that's okay i know that sounds crazy and like i'm a real snob but um you know uh uh, I moved on to Lockhart and, and tried um, both Smitty's, which is more of the sausages, um, which were amazing. Uh, and I mean, Troy does some great sausages, but he's still got a ways to go to hit like that, those, those Texas ones. Cause man, they are good. Um, and that was probably the thing I liked the most the whole way there was turkey and sausage, just cause it was something I didn't really eat as much back home. And then in Lockhart, I obviously went to, to blacks, which is the oldest, um, uh, barbecue joint in uh, Texas, I believe, uh, that's still operating. Um, and uh, but I went in there about 4 p.m. as well, so it was you know a bit late in the day. It's kind of getting the stuff that's been sitting on the block for a while, so <laughs> I was it wasn't as good as I'd, I'd hoped. Um, and then uh, while I was in Austin, uh, I ate at uh, Micklewaite's uh, and Franklin's. And Micklewaite's is the one that's you know about 200 meters up the road from Franklin's, and and probably gets a bit of the spill off uh, crowd and 
but that place on its own was really good in a, in a unique standalone way as well. And somebody, uh, Stephen Allen, um, from smoke and Steve's had said, yeah, you should go eat there and check it out. Cause I think he, he'd worked there for a while or something. Um, and it was great. And I, I had barbacoa, which just blew my mind, like very Tex-Mex way of, uh, of eating uh, barbecue. And, um, and at that point I was starting to get pretty barbecued out, but I saved, you know, a full day's calories for, uh, for Franklin's. <laughs> so just before we talk about Franklin's barbacoa, go into, can you explain that in a bit more detail? I've, I've tried to make it here and it's never quite the same, but barbacoa is like a Mexican, uh, variety of pulled pork, um, or, um, has a Tex-Mex influence and, you know, you boil a few types of chilies and like, um, I think the, the key with barbacoa is not just doing like a pulled chalk or, or whatever uh, variety of pulled beef you want. It's, um, that sauce, you got to boil it for a long time, make the sauce out of boiled chilies, add in, it's pretty simple, few ingredients. Um, and then you, you coat the, um, the pulled beef in the, uh, the sauce that you've made. Um, and then you tend to eat it on tortillas with, um, you know, chopped tomatoes and salsa and onions and things. And, um, yeah, I mean, I had that and, um, a little bit of the traditional stuff at, uh, Mikowitz, but that barbacoa just was, it just blew my mind. Made me want to try a lot more Tex-Mex style barbecue. Sounds pretty bloody tasty. Yeah, it was very good. Um, and then, and yeah, now Franklin's. The brisket, uh, you know, exceeded uh, my lofty expectations, I guess. Um, and I mean, the difference there was I was uh, 7 a.m. to bloody noon waiting to queue up. So I was about the 20th person in line. Um, and I was also uh, like they open at eight and they start serving beers and stuff. You can buy like a really nice bucket of craft, five craft beers for about 18 bucks. I was like, what a bargain. And um, so these guys That's from- one beer here in Perth, isn't it? Yeah, no doubt, right? So you're drinking about four or five dollars, like you know, just some Ripper craft beers. And um, I had one Lone Star in Texas, you know, just so you could say you do, but it's not the go-to beer, that's for sure. Um, and so, yeah, I was drinking a bunch of beers with these guys from Chicago that I'd met, and so that also could play a part that I was I was maybe drunk by 11 a.m. Um, <laughs> but now the brisket uh, blew me away, and it was the only place I've ever eaten at where the the flat uh, or the lean part of the brisket was was better than the point. Um, you know, when I went to Black's and, um, went to a couple of the others that I'd been to, you know, you can always rely on the point being pretty good. Um, yep. but they have really marbled briskets there. Um, you know, like all of their standard black Angus briskets would be like two or three score, uh, Wagyu's almost, I mean, so some of the points didn't render as well as, you know, they would, or they were just, they were pretty fatty and they were good, but then the lean side, you know, might've been just a bit dry or whatever. Whereas at Franklin's. Um, the point was good. Like it was almost too fatty, I thought. Um, but the lean was completely perfectly rendered. It just pulled apart, uh, but held together. I mean, it was as good as you would ever expect. And, um, yeah, it it blew me away. Um, and the other thing there too is, I mean, the pork ribs were just as good as anywhere else I'd eaten and their turkey was exceptional. So, um, and the best bit was as I was in line, uh, talking to the guy at the, uh, that was serving me, um, he, uh, he, he missed, he mistakenly started chopping up a bunch of pork ribs. And I was like, no, man, I can't, I can't eat that much. And, and he's like, <laughs> Oh, well take this rack for free then. So I ended up with like, like a pound of brisket, half a pound of, you know, uh, of Turkey, a whole rack of ribs. Like I could not eat all of this. So then I had leftovers for a few days. <laughs> I think it's always nice when you go to these places and you kind of like, you're aware of all the hype and you kind of like, you're just hoping that that lives up to the hype. And then when it exceeds it, you're like, ah, 
like you kind of feel a little bit satisfied i think that you you know it is as good as what everyone said it is yeah and it did um it did definitely exceed my expectations and and i was surprised too because i'd had a few disappointments up until that point um but i i think the biggest thing is the time of day that you go in just like any barbecue place you know if, if i if I um, slice a brisket at 3 p.m. and I have to serve people at 6 p.m., you're going to have a hard time uh, keeping that brisket in prime condition, you know. And there's a reason that, uh, like, when people come and get brisket for me, I'm generally sort of like, they come, they have a beer, you know, and, and have a yarn and then take away their food. I, I don't slice it and give it to them sliced. It's generally, unless it's a small portion um, where they're going to eat it straight away, I generally give, like, a, a chunk, you know, um, or – like you know and i'll tell them go home and cut it this way off the point or this way off the flat but i mean i want people to you know or if they take away a, a piece of pork or lamb um i want them to to pull it when they get home it's all wrapped up nice and tight and hot and then you get home and pull it apart because that's the money shot moment right where yeah. if if you get some pulled pork that's been sitting around in a metal tray for an hour it's it's just not going to be the same as when you pull it out and do it yourself absolutely so it's, it's got to have that moment, that aha. And so when, you know, you're only the 20th person in line at Franklin's and, uh, and you get it fresh, uh, like there's, it's as good as expected. And I've only made a couple of briskets in my life that were, I think that were on that level. And so it's just achieving that level of consistency, you know, and that's, that's the, uh, that's the next challenge, I suppose. And I think that's the hard part. I mean, that guy just does it day in, day out, you know, like hundreds of briskets probably a day. Um, and getting that consistency is such a challenge, especially with brisket. Like you say, like some of the briskets, uh, you know, like the quality of a brisket, you put two side by side, they look the same. They're going to cook totally differently every time. Absolutely. And, and I think the one thing that blew me away on that trip as well was is particularly in L.A. when I was at Ray's Barbecue and I was looking at the quality of briskets that he had on delivery, just the cold, uncooked. And, um, yeah, they were outstanding. I mean, we can get some some great uh, Troy's premiums and, you know, there's some pretty good Wagyu's, although I don't rate a lot of the Wagyu's that we have here. Um, but the thing that's noticeable in California, at least, and I presume all throughout Texas and the U.S. is uh, just the thickness. I mean, uh, you know, the, the flat on a brisket that I saw in Texas was huge. Uh you know, and um, the the size of, of uh, and the marbling that they had, like I said, they were all almost like a two, three score. So, um, you know, we're, we're a little bit challenged. But then I guess on the flip side is, you know, um, three or four uh, years ago, you wouldn't have been able to find a brisket anyway. You know, Gus is telling me stories about going and buying briskets, uh, you know, out of guys' uh, boots and car parks because they had to order 10 at a time from out east, you know. So, I mean, the quality of what we get now, um, we have no right to complain about because it's just getting better and better. And, um, and I suppose the other thing is, you know, every brisket's different or every cut of meat is different. If it's lean, you're going to have to maybe a little, little, you know, not, not as hot. You know, I, I'm not a big, I used to, there was a while where I started going hot and fast on everything and I had some pretty good success because I was really confident and I, I knew I could hit that window, but there's other times too, where, you know, you, uh, you're going to get better results, just bringing it back down to basics as well. And just going low and slow. I mean, in, in these restaurants in the U S they might cook for, 16 uh, hours, you know, 12 to 16 hours. And then I think the, the absolutely critical thing that we all disregard and that I have now kind of become annoyingly known for is, is talking about the rest. And that's probably, the I, have, I have seen a couple of comments from you uh, on social media around the rest. Take us through uh, your thoughts on, on the rest period. I was, I, I was laughing with Gus the other day. Cause he keeps saying like, you know, it's become like a fishing story is, you know, he goes like, I once rested a brisket for 20 hours. <laughs> Like, and it was amazing, you know, and uh, no, it's, 
like it, I think the the rest is just so that it comes down to slicing temperature. And you know, you take a brisket to two two hundred five or two ten, and then um, you know when you slice it, you want it to be at um, one forty one fifty. Um, I mean, you, in America, you'll never burn your mouth on brisket. There'll never be steam coming off a brisket that you um, that you ser- that they serve you and you, you uh, eat there in the restaurant. Um, it's always down at that almost slightly above room temperature. Um, and that's important because if you cut into a hot brisket, it just, you know, leaks fat everywhere. All that rendered fat that you've taken all that time is now lost. Whereas if you let it rest and drop down, um, 50 it's or like, 60. like, no, the liquid gold is going. Yeah. <laughs> We've all done the stupid squeeze photo, right? You know, you get yeah. a little poke and you're like, look at this. How good is this boys? You know, uh, it's, it's like, I just don't do it anymore. It's, it's foolish, but um, yeah, when you let it get down to that 150, 140 range, um, which is just above safe serving temperature in Fahrenheit, uh, from a bacteria point of view, because obviously below about 135, 140, you have that four hour window where bacteria forms. So to hold it in a restaurant is, is really tricky. You know, they, they have special, um, you know, uh, uh, um, custom made ovens or, um, you know, Alta Shamos and there's different brands that they use, um, to keep them at that set temperature for, but when you, when you let it drop all the way to 150 and you slice into it, um, that fat sort of recongealed again into the slice. So your fingers are, are wet and, you know, it's, but it's not running all over the place. It's staying within the meat. Um, and that's just, the perfect spot. So I don't necessarily know if it needs long rest or if it just needs to drop to that temperature. But, you know, when we were at city, it was freezing cold and I put a brisket in an esky. I usually leave it with the lid off a bit um, with the probe in it um, when I'm letting it rest. And if it's dropping too quickly, I'll, I'll put the lid on, but whether it's two hours, three hours, or you, you, you wrap it really tight in an esky full of 10 other briskets, which I've done. And, and sometimes they can stay above that temperature for 10 hours. Um, if it's a full esky full of briskets, then just getting it down there to that temperature is the key thing. And I think the first time someone does that and tastes it versus what they've normally been doing, you know, the difference is very, very noticeable. I know I read, uh, I read your post and on the next brisket that I cooked, I, um, I let it sit for probably, I don't know, it might've been an hour and a half after I'd taken it off, uh, and let it drop. And I certainly noticed a little bit of a difference in, um, in, yeah, in that kind of, not having that kind of loss of moisture straight off the bat as soon as you slice into it, which I think, oh. is, you know, it holds, it holds a bit more flavor in it doing it. See, and there's a lot of great tips in Franklin's book, but there's a lot of little things that he doesn't really talk about as well. And I've kind of put it together through various forums or, you know, just, you know, visiting a few restaurants, but there was one good Texas monthly article that talked about, I think if you Googled, let's talk about resting or something along those lines, Texas monthly, you'd find the article and it basically uh, talked through three or four, it was a short article that talked to three or four restaurants and said, you know, what do you do with rest and this and that. And there was a, co- a comment in it that said, if you cut into a hot brisket and it just pisses out uh, all of that rendered fat, you, you're going to, in 10 minutes later, you're going to have a, a piece of shoe leather basically. And um, the difference when you cut into it and, and it's at that right temperature is just massive. So yeah, that's the big thing I think. And, but who has the patience to cook a brisket for 12 hours and then rest it for five more hours <laughs> at this point now, it, you know, like in, in America there, they, in the restaurants, they would put their briskets on it. 11 or 12 in the morning like 11 a.m or 12 p.m and then they would cook them through to midnight and then they'll rest them until the next day service at noon again so when you're in there eating they're cooking the briskets for tomorrow and then they sit for 12 hours generally before they get served and that's the kind of like 24-hour turnaround time that that is required to hit that restaurant level caliber food 
Yeah, I don't think you and me are doing that in our backyard too often. I don't know. I'm, I've got a, I've got quite a few SCs. I got a, a couple of little setups. I'm tooling away trying to find like what I can do to to achieve that. So make you know. it work. Yeah, exactly. Because you got to stand out. You know, everybody can do a decent brisket now. You got to be like this brisket That's I would true. like sell my children for. You know. Yeah, and I think sometimes with brisket though, it's really hard. Like I, you know, I look at the comp uh, brisket scene, and you know, like that quality of you know the wagyu score and, and that sort of stuff can have such a big impact on um in comparison to another protein like chicken where you know that quality of that protein can have such a big impact on on how that you know renders how how the flavor is absorbed you know and and how eventually it's going to be judged yeah and 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 it's a tough thing and it's um you know a lot of people uh, do a hot and fast at comps or they they tend to uh, like everybody has a different strategy and you can all of these things can achieve the same results you know there's three or four different ways you could rest the brisket and achieve the same results but um the first two or three times I did wagyu's I I I did um a terrible job and they didn't render the way I, they normally would and I remember thinking they tasted a bit too chewy or buttery or whatever and um it was just because I was so used to cooking, you know, slightly leaner briskets and, um, you know, and the rest time is different and, and uh, you know, a Wagyu will cook away quicker when that fat starts to, to heat up. And um, so it's just, you know, learning how to cook different types and cuts of meat. And, you know, I think I've, I've had about eight different probes over the last couple of years. And now at this point, aside from one or two um, probes, uh, you know, on a, on an eye grill two or something, um, and usually one of them is just for an ambient temperature. I pretty much just use the the instant read thermometer now and just go by feel and probably it's a lot less stressful. And those first those early months where everybody's like adjusting temperatures and you know they're they're so worried and nervous. Like once you get a little more comfortable, it really is just let it ride, you know. Yeah, I think that's one of the big things I learned from Boyd was around uh, using that that instant read uh, digital thermometer, the thermopen, and just the feel, you know, feeling you know what you can feel when you're touching the brisket yeah absolutely and you know put on welder's gloves and pick it up and it's like uh you know i mean that's it sounds ridiculous when you read it in franklin's book the first time and you're like you know all these ways to tell and then you've done enough of them and you're like yep you know it's it's done and and you don't have to worry about what the number says as much i'm going to take a quick break here to tell you about my sponsor clean heat barbecue Clean Heat Barbecue Lumpwood Charcoal and Briquettes are manufactured in KwaZulu Natal, South Africa, using a sustainable, renewable hardwood invader species called the Mapani Bush. The Mapani Bush is found in some of the remotest regions of Namibia, and removing it assists in the regeneration of short grasses, which benefits the roaming native animals such as rhinos, zebras, and springboks. Clean Heat also employs around 500 people in these communities, which cut down the Mapani bushes, offering job opportunities that otherwise wouldn't exist. I've used clean heat for my last few cooks and it's one of the cleanest burning fuels I've ever used and it just seems to last and last. It's available all around Australia and if your local barbecue supplier or butcher doesn't stock it, ask them to get it in. You won't be disappointed. Clean heat barbecue. Fuel your passion. Now, let's get back to today's show. Woo! Let's have a look at your Instagram. You've, you've grown pretty quickly as well. Um, five, six hundred followers straight away. A bit like you, you kind of, you know... I started getting into it and you kind of look at the, you know, I found, I think one, you were one of the first I started following. Gus was right there at the time. And you kind of go, man, these guys are doing some awesome stuff. Tristan as well. Like I'm a big fan of his stuff. And yeah. I, like, I think that 
for me, like the Instagram stuff is what is really drive, like helped drive my passion because it's kind of, um, you see what other people are making. Like when, when Tristan made those, um, the Texan soldiers, the, the sausages, the first time I yep. was like, Oh man, they look good. I'm going to get to Troy's and get some of them and make exactly. them for myself. So, yeah. um, I really think that that kind of little community and starting to get to know people around the, around the place kind of, you all start sharing and getting to know a bit more about what everyone's doing and everyone inspires everyone else with little takes on what everyone else is doing. So, yeah. And it's, um, it, I mean, that's definitely what, what got me hooked was, um, was the social media. You, you want to share your own and improve, but you also, um, I don't know, the community just pops up. You don't post and stuff and people are thinking it's good. And sometimes it's humbling and surprising, you know, I mean, when you have people turn up and, uh, you know, at your house to eat your barbecue 10 times in a row and you're like, man you just you're giving me money for the food i'm making like that's a really humbling experience so yeah and i've kind of only made it for for a handful of people and it's it's you kind of get addicted to that little bit of feedback around you know like something that you've put time and effort into learning a craft of and other people like really enjoy it it's a really kind of fulfilling kind of feeling i think yeah and and i think people that are really passionate um and who you know just continue doing it, it starts to shine through i mean you know, Gus uh, having a go at barbecue school and, um, you know, and, and quitting his day job, uh, you know, that's a tough call for anybody, right? But Oh, man, you know, I take my hat off to him. Hey, that's, yeah. that's a big call, but it's awesome too. To a class recently, you know, and it was um, like, it, it's good fun and it's good value. So it's, uh, I can see where people start to, you know, Jason with the smokers and, you know, I'm um, starting to try and find a way to make a living at a barbecue. I mean, that takes, that takes a real nut. And so, you know, for me, it's it's just been a nice hobby that's paid for my toys and, and things like that. And, uh, yeah, I have a, some ambitions, but, I mean, as far as where it'll go, who knows. Um, but you just keep doing it every day. And I think the biggest thing is people come around and, you know, I, like I'm obviously very passionate about it and I love talking about it. So um, I think that's probably the, the thing people appreciate as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think once you're going to get bitten by that bug, you just kind of want to talk about it all the time. And then you need to find all the people just as equally as passionate about it or who want to learn about it because they've only ever had the, you know, the, the banger at, at Bunnings, which is pretty freaking horrendous, really. Well, you know, you know, we, well, hey, there is a time and a place for a Bunnings snack, but the funny thing is we've fallen into a subculture, you know, these sort of exist, like there's like the furries and, you know, like the Japanese anime and, you know, there's people that are really into coffee and, you know, wine and like we're in a subculture right now, you know, <laughs> so yeah. we, we've fallen so deep off the end that I'm like, how did I get here? <laughs> yeah. How did that happen? Yeah, <laughs> when did exactly. that happen? How much have I spent on smokers in the last 12 months? Oh, shit. Yeah, I'm going to live into my smoker if things don't go well. Yeah. You know, I remember kind of like when I first started getting into it with my um, like my gas little upright um, smoker that I was like, oh, yeah, these meats, you know, the cuts are so cheap. This is, you know, really cool. You know, like all the cuts are like $10 a kilo or less. And then you, as you get more into it, then the prices start going back up, you know, because you want better quality. And yeah. it's like uh, <laughs> all of a sudden you're paying you know, 15 or 20 bucks again, um, a kilo for something that you kind of thought was a cheap cut. And it's easy to forget that, you know, like I always tell people don't buy an Aldi brisket, you know, like don't um, buy a little portion if you can afford it, like at least do a, like a, a point or something to start with. But realistically yeah. just go and buy a small brisket of Troy's for 50, $60 and, you know, 60, 70 bucks for a whole brisket can, can be a real, you know, slug. And I guess I forgot about that because, you know, now I might buy like 10 at a time or something. And, uh, you know, you, 
but when when you're not sure how it's going to turn out and when you have a disaster uh like it could be it's gutting you know and there was yeah. times in that first year where i went two months without using it and i'm like oh, i'll go give it a crack maybe i'll just do pork ribs again those are easy you know and uh but yeah it, it's it's a confidence thing and i guess that's where with the community like I, I do like to post and give people like positive tips and i'm like you don't see on our on our groups in Perth. You don't see anyone bagging anybody out. I can't even go on the Australasian barbecue group anymore because it's just a bunch of shit talking. You know, yeah, yeah like, I completely agree. Sixty thousand people, I guess, on that group, and you're like, uh, there's a lot of lovely. It's just gone unwieldy, I think. There's too many meetings. Yeah. yeah. Whereas the Perth groups still have that community feel, and that's yeah. probably the thing I like the most. I don't think I'd be in barbecue uh, as long as I've been if it wasn't for those groups. No, I think you're right. I think it kind of keeps us all interested. And um, yeah, I completely agree. Like, you know, when you start out and you're spending, you know, 40 or 50 bucks on a brisket and you're kind of like, you, I, I definitely remember feeling really unsure about is this going to turn out, you know, I'm like, I'm wasting 50 bucks here. Like, um, but yeah, you know, like as you keep doing it, it's more confidence. I come home from the butchers, you know, two years ago and I'm like, I spent $200 at the butchers and, you know, my partner was like the hell, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. you know, I had to like, start like just, you know, being careful with how much I spent or like, you know, sneaking extra meat into the house and, <laughs> like, and you know, the missus is like, who are you texting? And I'm like, it's my butcher. Look, it's dry. See, it's literally, <laughs> and, and yeah. I, like, I had that same thing. <laughs> she thought I was cheating yeah. on her. Just try. Yeah. yeah just try. <laughs> Yeah. That's, when, you're, that's yeah. when you're overboard in the hobby, but nah, it's been good yeah. fun for sure. And um, yeah. I, I mean, I'm definitely not going to be going away anytime soon. And um, I'm sure there'll be plenty of other like cool people that pop up that are doing stuff that we've never seen either. One, like there's so many areas we could try, you know, I mean, Argentinian and, and South American barbecue and, um, you know, I mean, teppanyaki and Japanese stuff. There's just so many types of barbecue around the world that that can also be perfected. Yeah, and, and like bringing bringing fusions of that to kind of what we do, I reckon as well. Like, yeah, it's, it's pretty exciting. So, what comes next for uh, for Big Don? Uh look, I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm not uh, quitting my day job anytime soon. Uh, you know, to to do underground cookups. Um, you know, it's uh, it's been a lot of fun doing it, and I think I'll I'll probably still keep doing quite a few. But now that this new unit's out, um, you know, I'd, I'd like to find a few spots to, to sort of regularly cook or, um, you know, once or twice a month, uh, find somewhere where I'm, you know, where I'm involved in barbecue a bit. Uh, I mean, I have a bit of a, a background dream for a restaurant. Um, but I, yeah, I definitely don't want to say too much about it, uh, in any medium because it would be just like, uh, with the way I've done it via social media and, and, you know, infrequent hours is probably what I would be doing with a restaurant in a very strange format as well, if it ever went that route. But, uh, um, like it wouldn't be a, you know, seven days a week. I mean, Perth's not ready for barbecue seven days a week. I mean, the, the joints in town that we all know about, um, that serve, you know, passable food, but that we can usually do better at home. Um, yep. I think if you just said, look, we're only opening one day a week or two days a week, and we're going to, we're going to blow your mind and make you queue up, you know, I mean, snows in Lexington, which I never, uh, made it to, unfortunately, uh, has, um, you know, been really famous for their open Saturdays and that's it. They open at 8 a.m. on a Saturday and they're sold out by about 10 a.m. So you need to eat barbecue for breakfast if you really want to go there. And um, I mean, that's a successful format because you keep the passion to some extent. So, um, you know, if, if I've read a crack at something uh, a bit more abstract, it would it would still keep a bit of a weird, 
you know, underground feel to it, I think. But um, I think as a team, we're going to keep uh, competing a, uh, a little while longer, um, however long the passion lasts in that. Um, but I think we'll always be around those circles, even if we weren't necessarily competing. I'm sure we'd, we'd be out at these comps because the community in Perth is awesome. And um, yeah, I've, I've learned a lot uh, via the forums and, um, you know, and it's, it's sometimes good just to talk to someone and know that you're on the right track as well um, because everybody's second guesses if their food's any good or whatever. And um, yeah, I think we've all been there at, at some point or another. Yeah, I think everyone's on that journey to, to some degree and um, some are just further along than others. And I know that when I've been reading reading stuff online, you're like, ah, oh, that makes sense now. Yeah, and then you see it in your own food and, and it's usually the difference maker. Um, I'm looking forward to the rest of this year because with this big unit, I'll be cooking a lot. Um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, I, I got a couple of, things planned for the next month or so um and yeah i'm looking forward to just being able to fire it up and have people come around and, and have a look and and hopefully serve some fantastic food but i'm a one-trick pony i mean i'm expanding my horizons a lot at the moment but uh uh yeah i focused on brisket and at the moment that's probably the only thing i could say i'm really good at <laughs> well i'm looking forward to coming over and uh, testing some uh some uh brisket on the on the new smoker on the new unit that's for sure Anyone that you uh, want to give a shout out to? Oh, just to the guys on my team. Yeah, I mean, uh, I've learned uh, like an insane amount from Eddie, Dave and Tristan because all three of them had totally different backgrounds to what got them into barbecue. And uh, we've done three comps and I reckon now I could have a crack at some of those categories where I wouldn't have had a shot in hell before. And uh, and they've also, you know, you never see three more like focused people, you know, who are, are dedicated to I think the funniest is last comp Eddie uh, with a scalpel and scissors uh, spending hours trimming his, his lamb rack, you know? So it's uh yeah, that kind of dedication makes me realize, you know, there's, there's always more to learn, um, you know, and um, yeah, that's, it's just the three guys in my team, but uh, otherwise it's the Perth barbecue community. So hopefully uh, your podcast takes off and there's plenty of good personalities that you can have a chat to. Go and get yeah. Boyd, you know Boyd now, get him on there. Yeah. Nobody even knows where he <laughs> is until he rocks up late at a comp. Uh, I will endeavor to get Boyd on the show, that's for sure. Good stuff, mate. That brings to an end our chat with Donovan McDonald of Big Don Smoke Meats. If you don't already follow Donovan, you can catch him on both Instagram and Facebook at Big Don's Meat. I hope you've enjoyed our first ever episode of Big Shanks Radio. If you liked it, please head over to Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast, and subscribe to the show and leave us a review. You can follow my barbecue and podcasting journey on Instagram and Facebook at Big Shanks Barbecue and check out our website at bigshanksbarbecue.com.au and sign up for our mailing list to keep up to date with all the latest. Thanks again to our sponsors Smoky Q and Clean Heat Barbecue Charcoal and Brickets. And we look forward to talking to the who's who of barbecue on the next episode of Big Shanks Radio. Woo!